0: And welcome to the show. This is the Goodwin Podcast, and I am Nico, Vapalusa, your host. And today is a, a loose day. We're not we're not going into many plans, but there is something I wanted to lead off with, and that's environmental conservation. And uh a really nice strategy I found for helping uh helping the planet, you know. I saw a post, was it two days ago, and someone was criticizing cutting down Christmas trees, saying, yo, don't cut down Christmas trees. We Don't you like to breathe? And I understand the sentiment. You know, that's a really good intention, right? Don't you like to breathe? Yes. Yes. And And plants do eat carbon and they poop out oxygen. So it's great for us to be able to breathe. I totally get that. Um, That being said, I commented, well, what about cutting down a tree to celebrate and planting two? You know, instead of of stop doing something, you can also say, well, if you're going to do this, you know, do a little bit more. And I guess both are requiring action. Right, because inaction is inaction as well. Um, but I like mine better in this particular case. You know, I like the idea of instead of abstaining, of contributing by planting a tree. So, it's, so this year, for example, I planted fifteen trees, and I cut—I did cut a tree down. Um, so I, I think I'm—you know—I'm plus fourteen on this year in, in trees, in, ter- in terms of the trees I've taken uh, compared to what I've given back. Now, I took down a pretty mature pine tree, right? And I planted babies, except for one. I kind of planted a mature, um, what's it called? It's a tree that has flowers on it in the springtime. Magnolia. I planted a magnolia, so I'm pretty pumped about that. But that's, you know, I, I like the tradition. I like celebrating the holidays. And the older I get, the more I'm becoming my, my parents in that way where, yo, know, no one's coming over this year. No one's going to my parents' house. No one's going to my grandparents' house. And yet they still, we still decorate for Christmas. And I go to my, and my parents' house is, it looks amazing. They decorated it so good. And no one's gonna see it. It's literally for them, and I respect that now. I respect that a lot more. I respect the decor. I respect the effort, and I like to participate a little bit. And I think cutting down a tree is a nice is good symbology. And I think it has pagan traditions. I think, um, damn it, that would have been a good place to do a little bit re- of research. But I'm pretty sure that there's pagan, tra- you know. There's pagan relations to evergreen trees. Why, um, why a Christmas tree? The evergreen fir tree has been traditionally used to celebrate winter festivals, pagan and Christian, for thousands of years. Pagans used branches to decorate their homes during the winter solstice as it made them think of the spring to come. Evergreen spring to come. The Romans used fir trees to decorate their temples at the festival of Saturnalia. Christians use it as a sign of everlasting la- life with God. Nobody's really sure when fir trees began, but it probably began about a thousand years ago in northern Europe. Many early Christmas trees seem to have been hung upside down from the ceiling using chains, hung like chandeliers. Huh. Other early Christmas trees across many parts of northern Europe were cherry or hawthorn plants. Yeah, so it's been, I like it. I like the symbology. I like celebrating. You know, I secretly think about the winter solstice and kind of like the pagan things I celebrate. And it's a good totem. It's a good altar. And it's a nice little sacrifice, I think, um, to the gods having a Christmas tree. Plus, it makes the house smell really nice. So all these reasons and more. I'm pro Christmas tree and I'm pro going out and and cutting it down yourself, you know, getting a little sap on your hands and, uh, you know, maybe saying a little prayer before you you kill the tree by cutting it from its its life source. So we're pro Christmas tree over here and I say cut your Christmas tree down and, and, you know, plant a few trees throughout the year. I think people that live in the city you know where it feels like there's not that many trees because there's not kind of get a conservation mindset of like save the trees you know and I can see that Um, and there is incredible deforestation you look at maps maps that have an agenda sure Um, but even if they're not too far off, like the deforestation that's happened in the world over the past two hundred years, it seems pretty crazy. So yeah, save the trees. It's a valiant effort, it really is. But I'm saying save the trees by planting more. And protecting things like our nature reserves and et cetera. But these Christmas trees have been are part of people's businesses. They're they're grown farm style. Um yeah, I just I'm pro I'm pro Christmas tree at this point in my life, and I hope that makes sense to you. And and plus, I think there is a a super conservation effort that's hiding right under our nose. Um, and this is kind of a plug. This is kind of going to be like a product plug, and it's not a sponsor or anything. It's just something that I really believe in and it, and it fits nicely with conservation. And that is the use of a bidet. I bought a bidet a couple months ago, maybe a couple weeks ago, was it? And I've been using it. I installed it myself. And just a side note, I, I want to front and say I'm handy. I am, I am so not handy. I I cut corners. I have never, I have no experience building shit. I built a garden this, you know, this past year, but that garden required no precision at all. It was stacking wood on top of each, uh, on top of other pieces of wood, and then bolting them together. And if you look at it, there's spaces, is asymmetry. You know, I can dig a pit. I can dig a trench. You know, I can wheelbarrow things all day. I can walk wheelbarrows of bricks various places. You know, I'm not afraid to get my hands dirty. I'm not afraid to, you know, do a little bit of labor. But in terms of being handy, I'm so out of it. Like anything mechanical, like anything with the car, and you don't want to go into a mechanic shop and just seem completely uh, you know out of it because you if it, it's like shooting fish in a barrel, you kind of like set yourself up to be an easy target for them to charge you more. So I'll front. I'll front in the mechanic shop. Yeah, alternator, you know, I'll look it up. I'll look up what I think the problem is and then I'll say it like I came to the conclusion through through like uh getting my hands, you know, through my own knowledge and observation. But I'm just not trained handy uh, in many or any ways. Carpentry. Carpentry at least makes sense in my mind, but like if I had to do anything with electricity, electricity is basically magic still to me. I'm still, I have the knowledge of, of, of a kindergartner, maybe less when it comes to electricity. There's wires involved, uh, copper, and, um, and a negative and a positive. And somehow we have we can do computers. Just no skills, no handy skills at all. And yet I installed a bidet and I did it poorly. I did a piss poor job, pun intended. I did a bad job. I can see it. And I have to and that's something I just live with it. I just I, I made a mistake and I live with it. I I I unscrewed things I didn't have to. It caused leaks, so I bought flex seal and just pff, covered it up. And it smells awful. I feel like spring flex seal is like, um, spring, like angel dust, but like not the good kind of angel dust, and with no positive, like feelings that I think PCP might come with, although I'm not sure. Just you know, flex seal it up. Throw a bandaid on it. I did. I did to throw a bandaid on it. And that's why I, I, when people cut corners and when people, you know, take the easy route, it's like, I can understand. I may not dig it because I also, this is something when I cut corners, which I do when particularly with handiwork or like building stuff from Ikea or Legos, it's like, I'll, I'll, I'll see myself cutting corners and then I'll say, well, how you do anything is how you do everything. How you do anything is how you do everything. And so when I'm rushing to brush my teeth and like missing like a quarter of the teeth or not brushing my tongue, or I'm, you know, peeing too fast or pooping too fast, like we've talked about in previous episodes, or, you know, just reckless with with menial tasks seemingly menial tasks I'll be like well how I do you know anything is how I do everything how I make my bed in the morning because I started to make my bed in the morning ever since you know Jocko told me to or Jordan Peterson told me to or whatever and I like it I kind of like having a, a, a bed that's made you know you walk back into a room nice nice made bed and for me, it made no sense to make my bed. This was my justification for not making my bed because I like my blankets swooshed about at night. I like to make myself a burrito. I, I If I go to a hotel and the blankets and the sheets are tucked into the bed, I rip them out so that I can dishevel the blankets all about and be wrapped up. So I'm like, I don't tie my shoes after I take them off. You know, why would I make my bed after I wake up? And for the longest time, I didn't understand. And for the longest time, I rebelled against making my bed. Um, But now I kind of like it, you know. Now I kind of see, because I'm becoming my mother in a lot of ways, how cleanliness and godliness kind of go together. You know, you you take a heroic dose of mushrooms in a disheveled room, in a dirty place, and you start to realize how it does affect you, clutter, disorder, dirt, and that's not even dirt and filth, but you can see how clutter affects your mindscape, or I did. And so I like a made bed now. I like a little made bed. The first thing I do most mornings, if I was like too lazy the night before to kind of like arrange to put things in order, the first thing I'll do is like put things in order. So I'm becoming my mother it worked. So I installed this bidet. And I caused a leak in the toilet. I had to go get a new part, um, you know, that that it didn't come with. And, uh, you know, used Flex Seal to cover up the leak, I think it's fine. I don't know. Uh, There's been no more leaking. And yeah, it was just kind of, it was just kind of a messy night where, not because it's hard, not because it's difficult. It was all me. It was because of me and I'm not handy and I was trying to cut corners and I was trying to hurry it up. And I installed this bidet and life changing, life changing. So, so glad I did. So glad I did. I mean, on so many levels. One from a conservation level. I think I've used four squares of toilet paper in in a month and a half now. Like, how is this not the standard? How is this not standard operation? You get done. You put the bidet on. Five, ten seconds of pressurized water to your sphincter and really the toilet paper is just a formality I can probably just pull up my my toity pants and go on with my day but as a formality just to check it's basically just to check my work I'll rip a square off pat 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 rat tat tat wrists on glitter butthole on thinner so and, and it's clean and it's clean every time and toilet paper is a huge consumer of not only trees, but the bleaches that are that are, the, that are used, and the creosote that is used. And there's just so much shit that goes into making toilet paper. And it's an, and it's an industry that's not addressed. You want you want to make significant environmental impact? Look at the toilet paper industry. Go ahead, look at it. It's crazy. And because people think it's necessary, it's you know it's a necessary thing. It's a necessary thing. But the amount of bleaches and chemicals to, to get a softer paper and those fucking bears, those Charmin bears, they don't give a shit about the community they live in. They don't. Toilet paper production is a nightmare zone. It is. Please look into it. But I'm telling you, there's a solution. There is a solution, and it's called bidets. Look, I'm using four squares of of toilet paper per month. Okay, that's not true. Maybe, you know, I'm pooping three times a day, which is good, which is healthy. And if you're not pooping two, you know, once or twice a day... um, while we can get into that, I think, you know, you need to rearrange yourself, rearrange your guts a little bit to get on that. So let's say I'm using four to eight squares a day. There's 800. That's like 100 sittings, 100 sittings per, per, per roll of toilet paper. Um, Or no, that's a, that's a hundred days of toilet paper. 100 days. That means per year three and a half rolls of toilet paper. Three and a half rolls of toilet paper compared to three and a half rolls per month. So I'm cutting down my toilet paper use by 12. This is all rough math. Maybe I should do the real math and put it up. Maybe I will. I'm cutting down my toilet paper consumption significantly and therefore I'm not buying toilet paper. I'm you know, you know how things work. So if many of us, if a million did of us did that, we're cutting down our toilet paper consumption by 12 million times. And how many trees does that save? You know, how many less chemicals that are used to treat paper to make it soft and, and white and et cetera are being saved or being not used? significant significant and as far as the water consumption it is minimal you know i'm talking five ten seconds of pressurized of pressurized water now no so it's significant i think it's so green a bidet you can go you can get a bidet for 75 bucks i just bought three of them if my family's listening to this they're all getting bidets for christmas they're all getting bidets. Everyone's getting a bidet for Christmas and and some other shit, but everyone's getting a bidet. And it's, and it's like the nicest thing I can do for the planet. And they're going to like it. They're going to appreciate it. Because I haven't even gotten into the pleasure aspect of this. Now, there's a pressure nozzle on the bidet. And if you're scared, you should be. Because if you go full blast... If you go too fast too soon, you're going to get checked. You're going to get checked. You're going to think uh, you, tore your t- you tore your butthole. You're going to think that. And there might be evidence to support that. You're going to have to sit there with a mirror, with a pocket mirror. Like you're going to lean your butthole over a ledge and sit there with a pocket mirror and see if you didn't have any damage, any visible damage. Like the pressure's no joke. And for all all the people with bidet, they already know this, but people that are going to get a bidet after this episode, you know, easy does it. Easy does it. Now, when you get your pressure down, because you can dial it up and dial it down, I start gentle and you get a little cool water on your taint, on your butthole, your eyes widen, you're starting to think a little bit more clearly. You're starting to thank the people in your life. You're starting to thank yourself. Plus, you're saving the environment. This is a no-brainer. This is a no-brainer. So cut down a Christmas tree, and you know what? Get a bidet. You get a bidet, you're saving hundreds of trees. In your lifetime, you might be saving thousands of trees. Plus, you're saving a specific amount of chemicals from entering the waterways. So cut your Christmas tree down and be thankful and be merry. You know, it's a little symbol of hope that the that spring will come again, that there's still green in this world, despite the gloom and of winter. So get a bidet and experience the pleasure of having one. Bidets for everyone. And this is a final little little bit on, on bidets because I'm I'm I could talk all day. Like if you listen to previous episodes, I haven't gone deep into the anal stimulation um, sector of my life. I haven't gone too deep with it. Uh, and that's that's a pun as well, and that's also intended. I just you know I've I've worked it a little shallow with my own fingers uh, in the shower, for example, in the right conditioner, and it's been just fine. You know, it's it was basically oh I did that, but it wasn't like this is good, and I'm open and I'm not closed down to it. I think with you know an anal bead, you know like. Anal beads that kind of get bigger in size, and I can start to experiment. But I'm in no rush. I'm in no rush to find the male G spot. And also, I've told, I talked about that experience where I had an internal orgasm, massaging my taint before. If you haven't listened to that episode, where. Where my vagina would be, I had massaged that during sex by like through scissoring. And I had this kind of internal orgasm sensation. That could be the male G-spot. And then what I'm here to say is there might not be penetration necessary. You might be able to just massage the outside and get there. And the bidet is a great place to start. Can't stress that enough. Now, there is a particular brand of bidet. And they're probably the most popular. But and the and the reason I'm gonna tell you this is because not because they're a sponsor, although I would love for them to be a sponsor. As you can tell, I'm very passionate about bidets. I am. But the the company name is, is Tushy. Okay? Now on the day I decided to get a get a bidet and I decided to get bidets for everyone in everyone in my life, I go to Tushy.com. Some of you are already ahead of me. But for those of you who are not, Tushy.com is a pornographic anal site. And it's actually a really high quality one because I actually I accidentally went to the site, Tushy.com, and I stayed for a while. And I stayed for a while. Now, you have to pay for the content. So I didn't stay too long. But they got beautiful, beautiful women doing, doing sexy things. They got good lighting. They got good cameras. Um, Their writing is a little hit or miss. You know, they're they're not really pushing the boundaries of artistic expression through sexuality. You got your, you know, uh, bratty stepsister and your, um, you know, Uh, massage therapists, uh, secretary, you got your doctors and and basic shit, you know, they're they're not pushing the boundary, they're doing the mainstream porn thing um, with an anal twist, hence the tushy, and beautiful models. If you're into that sort of thing, maybe check them out, or maybe don't, because that's a, you're trying not to do that with your life, and you're trying to retain your semen and decide, and that would be too much of a of a threat to your discipline you know but I do want to warn you if you're if you're like mom I really want a bidet I heard uncle Nico talking about it and he makes all the right points a bidet is the way to go and let's do it let's do it and she's like okay yeah that sounds great you also you also make good points where do I go and you say uh yeah it's cushy Probably Tushy.com. You're sending your mom to an anal porn site, a high-quality anal porn site. Which, do they do, did they do that on purpose? You know, if you're going to name your company Tushy, you're not aware. You know, my, my question is, is isn't is it an advantage to the company? Is it a way of getting a little bit more traction? you know companies who name themselves with companies that already exist it's kind of like like small towns in the midwest naming themselves after like big big cities throughout the world like there's a like a paris indiana or like uh like dallas wisconsin it's like what are you doing what's up with that like you don't have a sense of originality. Is this a way to try to bring people trick people into flying in to your to your to your spot and then you kind of have them? Does it contribute to your overall wellness or are you just kind of leeching on? And I am looking at you Paris, Indiana. Or Brazil, Indiana. You know, what you are doing? What's that about? And now, you know, Tushy. Tushy, I'm giving a little bit more lean, leniency to because, one, they've actually shown their own success, you know, in a certain amount of ways. And I love their product. But did you know what you were doing? Did you know that there was a high quality uh, pornographic, anal pornographic website, Tushy.com? Um, that you knew people were going to go to. You know people were going to go to it when they're looking for your product. And if you didn't, I don't believe you. You just knew. And does it work to your advantage? You know, because you're not in the same industry, but you had a successful pornographic company and now you're a successful home goods supplier slash anal stimulation supplier. And... Does it work in your favor? I wonder. Through like like name recognition, people do people trust it more. And I guess it worked for me, but not because of the porn. It's because every podcast I listen to has has Tushy as a sponsor. And look at me doing it for free. Look at us doing it for free. But it's a look. I don't need you to go to them. Maybe you build your own bidet. Maybe you run a hose from from. You know, you figure out how to run a hose, you get a like a little splitter. Listen to me knowing nothing about handiwork, but you get a splitter and you run one pipe with a little nozzle on it to your toilet bowl, and the rest and the other one goes into the tank. I learned a lot about toilets actually installing this. And I'd be happy to break that down. But you know, maybe you build your own and you save yourself fifty dollars because you do it on your own. And I'm open to that. And I love it. Um, but it kind of worked on me, I guess, you know, and I got a little discount because I used the promo code. So basically, if you're trying to get a bidet from this company, it's hellotushy.com. Okay? If you're sending your mom or your dad or your grandma to buy you a bidet, maybe you should buy bidets for yourself. You know, maybe that falls into the category of things I buy for myself. On the the list uh, is like uh, diva cups and condoms and, um, you know, what have yous. And what have yous. Hair treatment of any kind off hair or on hair whatever. Maybe that's in the category of things you buy yourself. But not my family because I went ahead and got everyone a bidet this year for Christmas. So lucky them. And lucky planet, you know. And I, I, I do think if I did the math, the amount that you'd spend on water for a bidet is still less than the amount than you, you know, that you'll save from to your toilet paper expenditure. I really do think that. Unless you're like my girlfriend who wraps her hand like an oven mitt every time she, she goes to the bathroom. I swear when she's staying with me, my toilet paper usage goes up fuck, ten time, maybe 1, times. Maybe a thousand times. a fresh, plump roll. And after a weekend of her staying, it's like... Uh, it looks like I have to whittle my own toilet paper from, from leaves and wood chips in the backyard. Cause we're out after I just bought a a mega pack of mega rolls. And I do, I question, what are you doing with all that toilet paper? What are you doing with all that toilet paper? Are you afraid? Is it because you're afraid of you getting your hand dirty? Well, guess what? A bidet, you don't even have to go down there. The water goes down there for you, spritzes it clean. I'm talking 10 seconds. You can't just turn it on and turn it off. Okay, I thought that at the beginning. I would just do a quick on, and then I'd be wiping. like, oh, but you got to let it run. Let it run for a little bit, 10 seconds, and you'll find your pressure, the pressure that works for you. This is like a big, long commercial for for bidets, but I – it needed to happen. This is, this is valuable. So recently I had a, I do live streams on my TikTok because, you know, I'm lonely. Also because, you know, it's fun. It's actually a good way to build engagement with the people that I, that follow me. We're up to like one ninety thousand And, um, it's cool to interact with them and like, see, w- see what they're about. So I did my first live yesterday and I ended up spending an hour and 45 minutes on this, on this live because it was that engaging. But I found myself like, cause people would come in at various points. It wasn't like everyone showed up at, at the beginning and then they, and then everyone left like, Two thousand people came, and they tell you your analytics after your live. Two thousand people came and went during that hour and forty-five minutes, and out of those two thousand people, maybe a hundred of them actually interacted with the live. Other people just kind of watched, which I find pretty curious. But nevertheless, I guess I understand sometimes you don't need to talk. But people come in and they ask you. They're like, they ask me. They're like, I'm twenty-six. What do you want to tell me? Or, I just broke up. How do I get over this? Or, just stuff like that. Knowing no context at all. Not even seeing a picture of their face. Just seeing a username. And granted, there are some usernames that really tell quite a story. Like, this is a waste of time, Zero zero Or, lonely boy too, or strawberry whore 46, or, um, you know, the world, the dot world dot needs dot peace dot zero, zero. It's like, okay, I can, that's, that's it. That's all I have to work for, with. And they're like, Hey, I'm 20, I'm 21. What should I, you know, what should I know? And I get it. I put out content. My popular content is things I wish I knew before 30 part one through 30 is what's out right now. And it's like, okay, well, first off, just look through my content. That's literally answers your question of what you should know at, at 20 years old. But this, I found myself repeating the same thing over and over because there's really only one piece of advice I can give. I'm finding. There's just one thing I can say to people, particularly when I have no context at all about their life or what they're going through specifically. And it is, take your time to understand yourself. No, understand yourself. Why? When you understand yourself, You will be able to do the things that you want to do. By showing up to the things that you want to do, by knowing what you want to do, you'll be able to show up for the things that you want to do. By showing up for the things you want to do, you're going to build your self-esteem because you're going to get better at something. You're going to have a sense of purpose. So you're going to have self worth. When you have self esteem and self worth, all of a sudden you know how much love how much how much you, you should be loved. When you know how much you should be loved, you're going to attract people that will love you and you're also going to put up a boundary of people that are indifferent to you. It's all about self-awareness and building self-esteem. So all I say over and over again is answer the question, who am I? Meaning you. And do do things that will build your self-esteem and those things will be particular to you. And you'll know them by knowing more about yourself and things will fall in line. If you can get yourself to show up for a practice daily, you know, I guess that's a a touch of discipline, but it doesn't have to be daily. You can be patient with yourself. Maybe you show up for the things you love once a week at first. And maybe sometimes you're showing up daily and sometimes you're showing up weekly or monthly and the cycles of frequency change. And I don't want you to get caught up on the frequency, but you'll st- you'll show up for things and all of a sudden you'll find that you're getting better. All of a sudden you'll find that you're being recognized within the community just, just from showing up because people will trust you just from your presence alone. You don't even have to do anything extra besides show up. And your self-esteem will increase, your self-worth, a sense of purpose will be cultivated just from you making a decision to show up for something that you like to do. And this cycle, and then we're spiraling up. All of a sudden we have momentum working up and we're spiraling up. And And really it's kind of like the spiral's kind of like this because sometimes we feel like we regress, right? And then sometimes we feel like we're accelerating and then we feel like we regress, but we don't feel like we fell as far as we did the last time we regressed and then we're accelerating. And so like the cycle kind of spins up like this, I find, as opposed to like DNA where you're kind of always on the same level in a way, or you're constantly working your way up. I find it's like, like more like that for whatever that's worth. If that, if that visual is helpful, uh, and if you're just listening, I don't know what to tell you. So that's the only, only advice that I can truly give people, you know? is, is, you know, you know, it's like, hey, what should I do? You know, you know. And, and me, I don't have, you know, I have the audacity to share myself and to share these perspectives. And, and I've talked about why, where this audacity comes from, where, you know, why I'm able to kind of share these things, um, why the shame from sharing isn't greater than the, the sense of desire or um the rewards that i feel like i get by sharing my voice and part of that is understanding these concepts myself and then part of that is ego stuff like being seen and being heard and and feeling valued and and validation and all that um but i do find myself when people are asking me these advice especially on the lives like yo i i'm getting the sense that you guys think you're starting to idolize or think that i'm good and now I have to tell you some shit about me okay because if I don't balance it out if I don't ground you I'm gonna let you down in the future and then you're gonna be you're gonna feel worse maybe feel worse off than before and instead I kind of like try to ground people's expectations like if they say thank you for this I'll say you're welcome and I'll accept that because we've talked about in previous episodes I think there's a great disease happening of of the people's inability to accept and it's epitomized by not being able to say you're welcome after someone says thank you so i'll say you're welcome and then maybe they'll keep going you know after i say you're welcome you know and i go you know what stop you're doing the thing where you're pedestaling me and it's it's only going to do you harm okay so I now i have to tell you some shit about me just to balance this out and I got asked the question yesterday on the live. I got asked, "What's the okay, what's the worst thing you've done? And it kind of like, you know, some questions stop me in my tracks a little bit. And I thought, I'm like, what is the worst thing that I've done? Because, you know, I haven't done the murder thing. I haven't done the rape thing. I haven't done the stealing thing. Now I've I've stolen from some box stores, but I haven't stolen from anyone in particular. And st- you know, I'm not saying that stealing from stores isn't stealing from someone, but okay, so I've stolen. But it just doesn't feel like the worst thing I've done, you know. And I'm I was like contemplating like and and the answer I came up with it kind of still holds true. I didn't have like a moment where I did the worst thing, like an exact moment or like an acute trauma that I caused myself or others. But I gen- i think the worst thing I d- I did or have done was for about ten years belittling myself and belittling my family and belittling the people that a- sh- actually showed me love. Because what I would do was there was like a time in like high school in college, where I had an inability to say anything nice about my family. I almost had resentment for how good my family has treated me. That my way of dealing with that was by talking shit about them. Which made no sense. And this is what talking shit about them it made my friends afraid of them, my family, which they had no reason to be afraid of. And it made no one want to come over because of this picture i painted of them and it gave them a way to to bring me down and to put me down and then i would do this to myself too i wouldn't i wouldn't have any any way to like build myself up and i would make myself small constantly in situations and i think this is the worst thing that i did because when i realized that this blame that I would give my family for nothing, like they raised a healthy, strong young man, you know, who who eventually learned a sense of independence and a sense of happiness. And they, you know, I, I really don't have complaints. Like my both my parents are, are together for whatever that's worth, which it seems to be worth something to people, particularly if their parents have separated. My dad had no problems with saying. I love you to me. He had no problem saying I'm sorry. And, you know, what more can you ask for? But yet I would still kind of create this blame for my shortcomings or my inability to understand the world. And I'd throw the blame at them. And and that's just so silly. The first thing that needs to happen, I feel like, for the development of an adult is to address blame. Blame. I'm not saying never criticize and never because we've we've known you've seen me do this on this on this show. It's like I'll see something outside myself and I'll address it. And I'll even address it in a critical manner because I no longer want that in my life. So I'm speaking it. And but there's a difference between. That and blame, because as much as I can criticize the outside world, I'm solely responsible for my happiness and how I handle these situations and how I move forward. Ain't nothing going to break up my stride. Ain't nothing going to hold me down. Oh, oh, I got to keep on moving. So blame is the first thing that's got to go and this this was like the dramatic change in my relationship with my father and mother was when i stopped talking negative about them and i started just saying nothing or speaking gratitude that they deserved when i started speaking gratitude for them you know all of a sudden how i felt around them changed and that's huge too because when you talk shit behind someone's back and then you see them the next time all of a sudden, either they reinforce what you said or you're uncomfortable around them because you know what you've done and therefore it just creates even a worse situation. So I started feeling better about my parents when I gave them the praise they rightfully deserved. Um, and, and that's been a huge, huge part of my growing up experience is eliminating the blame learning how to speak well about the people in my life, learning how to speak well about my family and learning how to speak well about myself. So this is the worst thing I feel like I've done was belittle myself for and and those around me for for a decade. And that is pretty shitty, you know. Like what Yeah, what's I mean, what's worse is I don't know. I mean, I've been a glutton at at times. I've been greed, but I've I've never been... I had never had an acute moment where, like, greed destroyed a relationship I was in. Um, I've never really chosen money over people. And gluttony seems like a self-punishment as opposed to kind of a bad thing I did for another person. It's hard to say. I mean I think I think one of the worst acute things I did was, you know, being 13 and um hitting on a girl that had a boyfriend that I was supposedly boys with. And the thing about that situation is i felt terrible terrible for years after doing that and i felt so much shame for having having done that and that's probably one of the worst things i did was just like come on to a you know just being 13 this is a lot of the reason why i share sexual Education is because it's, 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 you know, it's what I didn't necessarily have. And and it led me astray, you know, having no framework of how to satisfy the desires that I felt or how to be intimate. Um, and then and it caused me to betray people that were my friends at the time. And that that was awful. And actually, I still feel it a little bit, so I still might have some processing to do, actually. Whoa. I thought I kind of went through the gambit on that one. Um, I think what's really coming up is ever since kind of learning that at 13, I've been real sensitive about not being any particular way with guys' as girlfriends, particularly if we're friends or we have like a brotherhood going on. But it's kind of not happened. It's not been reciprocated. So now I'm on the, in a way I'm on the other side and it doesn't feel good either. Hmm. So I think something to consider. So get a bidet, you know? I think this is the major takeaway of this. Um, if you do reach out, you know, I will answer and I'll try to answer with my own experience and maybe that'll be illuminating in some way. But I'm going to tell you the same thing. I'm going to tell you to look within. I'm going to tell you to answer the question, who am I? I'm going to tell you to figure out what you want and learn how to speak what you want. Um, because expectations unspoken is premeditated resentment. Expectations which you don't share is setting people up for failure. It's premeditated resentment. It's basically a decision that you're going to be upset or angry at someone. But really, it's on you for not having shared your expectations or what you want or what you need in a particular relationship. Bueno. It's a good note to end on. Thank you guys so much for being here. Um, Appreciate you so much. And until next time, this has been The Good Wind.